0: We're going live and we're live. This is failed state update and I am Joseph L. Flatley and it's about 90 degrees in my apartment here in Pittsburgh. Which is not cool. Uh, literally. Um, and uh, I'm here with my co-host JG. How you doing JG Michael? Pretty good. Pretty good.
1: And I'm happy with the uh, guests we were able to score today.
0: Oh yeah. Speaking of which, uh, Tonight, we have two guests from The Nose, that's K N O W S, a data and document driven investigative journalism outlet that has been doing some real interesting work uh, surrounding foreign influence and shadow money in politics. And uh, it's going to be one hell of a show. So, Emily and Rocco, welcome. Why don't you introduce yourselves? Go ahead, Rocco.
2: Well, thanks, guys, for having us. And uh, my name is Rocco. Um, in Florida, I moved to New York in 2005. Somehow wound up uh, editor in chief of Vice, and have been on a ride ever since. That's a that's a, put me right here on your show, and with Emily.
3: And I'm Emily Molly. I'm uh, I'm from Chicago area originally. Um, I've been an independent journalist pretty much my entire career, and. Uh, just recently founded the nose with Rocco. I'm special projects editor, which right now, all of our projects are special. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of great because I'm finally getting to do sort of all that I've wanted to do and, uh, couldn't have asked for a better team. So uh, how did the site come together? That's a, that's a pretty good question. It was kind of out of necessity more than Mm -hmm. anything, um, Rocco and I had been working together at a another company, Scanner, before this. And on January six, some weird, weird stuff went down, and uh, we got separated from that company. So, you know, not wanting to let our hard work go to waste, and also with all of the other things, all of the other projects that we really wanted to do, we figured, well, we might as well just start a new company and just go for it. You know, no masters, no nothing, no mm-hmm. funding, but, you know, we'll figure that out along the way. Um, up the way. <laughs> and uh, thankfully, we've been very, very fortunate with, you know, our individual projects and being able to put that into, you know, what we're doing going forward. So the nose is kind of the child of necessity and uh, a, being dealt a very weird hand and trying to make the most of it.
0: Uh, did the uh, downfall of Scanner have anything to do with foreign influence and shadowy money and politics in the media?
2: Well, you know, we ought to see about that. Um, I've been on quite a longer tidal wave, I guess you can yes. say, it, and surfing and enjoying every second of it. Um, you know, I think I got a firsthand look at whether it's foreign influence, domestic influence, or just bought influence Mm -hmm. how what i call the media advertising uh industrial complex works and you know i think that a lot of influence is uh as they say perception is reality but but isn't really if if people become self-aware of things like botnets things like using digital advertising fraud so you can imagine very easily a script and you can very easily go on google and buy YouTube views. Um, And
3: the whole sentiment analysis that you
2: did. People have heard about Cambridge Analytica, all these things. And I saw how that was being used to sell advertising against salacious clicks. uh, You know, whether it be Vice or BuzzFeed, a lot of these places that you watched go from $5 billion you know, whatever, a couple billion dollar valuations into cratering into SPAC, um, special purpose acquisition, stock sales. To me, you know, the nose is the uh, inevitable outcome of a lot of stories I've been working on for years. A lot of stories that no one would run or got me in a lot of trouble uh, with the media industry itself uh, for various reasons, but none of them uh, to their favor, I don't think. And uh, we now have models, um, now that people are familiar with terms like catch and kill and stuff like what happened with Harvey Weinstein and Black Cube and... Uh, these things that are now lore if you will and where five years six years ago nobody would have believed you um we have models for all this and we want to kind of turn them on their head and that's what we've tried to do with our first couple pieces here that um you know first big piece is about the inauguration and a unaired documentary um, that was produced by associates of Mark Burnett and Elizabeth Koch of the Koch family um, that Amazon pursued um, as a potential reality series about the presidential inaugural committee, essentially the people that do the business of inaugurating the president. And uh, what's in, what's interesting about that, and Amazon backed out at the last minute, but. It was still filmed for a reason, never mentioned to the public or um, really in any way looked at as far as we know and any investigations by the government or the FTC or any of these things that are ongoing, which is important to note because MGM and Amazon just had, a well, Amazon bought MGM Studios in an $8.5 billion deal, and Mark Burnett is the global television chair of uh, uh, worldwide? Tilt. Am I getting that right? I don't know. Uh, it's yeah, global he runs TV for yeah. MGM. Global, and then whatever, yeah, <laughs> it was under FTC review. But you take a sk- step back, and you're like, why are they filming this? Why didn't it air? What are all of these people that have been handed indictments or are under investigation, uh, or in are in, in very very deep water legal proceedings? Like Tom Barrick, who is the chairman of the presidential inaugural committee who ultimately signed off on a lot of these things, uh, including the documentary and the 17 hours of audio we've recovered from that. And obviously, that's a big project. Uh, Mm -hmm. And other outlets, I think there was one mention in the New York Times uh, historian years ago um, that-
3: They just mentioned a documentary, right? One mention of the documentary. And
2: that's one piece of a story that will wind up being the first uh, publication was 10,000 words, but we very strategically did that to not get sued. Uh, We have not had one refutation. It's been two weeks now. We put our prologue of the podcast, which kind of shows our hand of what we have. And that's the kind of very thorough ownership of stories we want to continue to do, whether it be about uh, Dominion voting, and um, you know, gang stalking. Quite frankly, including people that have gang stalked us, and how yeah. that relates to January six, stuff that sounds like Star Trek stuff, but mm-hmm. or science fiction in some deranged alternate <laughs> reality. But this is a this is our reality, and yeah,
3: and, and that's the uh, that's the fun part of like what we're doing is we're pretty much going to show everybody through data, documents, and first first hand. Um, just calling people sources, on the phone. And, yeah, no, I mean, that's, I feel like that's lost art these days, calling people on the phone. And, um, you know, a lot of people just don't, when you, when you have them, you know, they uh, mostly don't want to give comment, but, you know, we yeah. have our ways of figuring things out.
2: It's also, in, in, it can, like, in participating in what I would call good faith, but adversarial journalism. And I what that basically means is, like, you let your source set the parameters but if they're in bad faith and they lie to you most reporters would freak out or get upset with them because they got lied to and i'm like why don't you lean into it and be like hey let's go out let's go talk some more and find out Mm -hmm. what other lies they want to tell you Mm -hmm. and then later you're like hey man you know you lied to me about all this stuff and can't get upset because i didn't um (laughs) just having a conversation here And I have all these documents and here they are. And typically they do stuff like give you Mark Burnett's personal cell phone number. And <laughs> give up five people that you didn't have true font. And like I don't know if that's considered and I you know, I want to shut up for a second. I'd like Emily to tell me, you know, what she thinks about what I just said about getting sources like that and how she reports differently and how that's always well, to bring well, a, tool, a tool, a toolbox that everyone has their own tool set. Now, then, I want to hear what you guys think about. What
3: right. You said. So to bring it back to the nose, like a big reason of why I wanted to continue working with Rocco is because he has some pretty unconventional reporting methods, I'll say, but they're extremely effective. Um, and I get to put my own personal spin, personal brand on that uh, however I want. But again, like this is the kind of stuff that I feel like a lot of places just don't don't foster these kinds of like investigative tactics uh, just like getting to the truth so many other outlets will just report a police statement just as is without digging much deeper than that or just take Mm -hmm. somebody's statement as truth or fact or you know a corporation's press release as truth or fact and not really dig much deeper than that so it's um you know it's it does make some people uncomfortable including reporters if you ask them to do some of these things but at the end of the day, if you're doing it in an ethical way, a little bit of uncomfortability can go a long way. <laughs> I mean, it's
2: muckraking. It's it's, yes. it's what Upton Sinclair or H.L. Mencken or lots of journalists around a time I think that was had a lot of parallels till now were really looking at the grime of society, like the 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 corruption, mm-hmm. the, the all of these things that. We actually live in a time when that data is more available than ever. Which it also the flip side of that is that disinformation and and um, uh, what is the other term that? It's oh, not malinformation.
4: Malinformation. Oh, I think there's. my new favorite. I yeah,
2: think. two two different distinctions there that it's it's easier to propagate and people want a simple narrative. And it's like, well, th- did the world get more simple or did oh, it get more no. complex?
4: Yeah, and it a lot
2: more complicated. I, they, people love true crime, but only when there's like. Culprit to be caught.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. true crime. Um, so <laughs> did did you guys even bother shopping this story around, or was this always going to be, you know, your own? It was always going to be our own.
3: It was always going to be our own. We did want to. We did want to do a different, like, you know, the way that this progressed is we managed to source the audio first and foremost mm-hmm. and we knew we wanted to do something with it oh this is betsy <laughs> <we are visiting laughs> betsy glad you Betsy's got betsy back oh we my did, god did hey betsy. not the water come on um sorry um uh, what was the question again sorry <laughs> so distracting
0: well i'm just just wondering like you know oh a new, chop it around
3: yeah, right. New like, new media um Yes, okay. Organization so is want- a
0: large yeah. undertaking.
3: So we did want to do yeah. it eventually, like in a different way we were going to do it, but the way that we did it with this was so much better and we didn't shop it around because we knew if we did try to do it through somebody else, they would...
2: We, we, we
3: approached uh,
2: through uh, Intermediary one potential co-producer for the podcast, which <laughs> yes. to me, I always knew that if I could do a long form article even about what I originally had gotten my hands on, which was the audio that is on the podcast. And if you've listened, uh, and I encourage everybody to to listen at, at the nose, T-H-E-T-N-O-W-S dot net. net, and it's all there. Um, and I, I'll read even read you the whole 10,000 word article too. You've <laughs> got um, no
3: excuse not to listen to it.
2: <laughs> uh, I, when I first heard it, I'm like, Elliot Brody, This sounds like he's come out of a dick tracy comic straight <clears throat> and i'm like this is what it sounds like not when doves cry but but you know this is what it sounds like when you peek behind the curtain into events that i've been on the periphery of that i've always been interested in and not in like a tom wolf bonfire the Vanities frame, more like how does this work and again upton sinclair being a reference of like I don't want, uh, you know, a summary. I want to understand why are these people here? What are they doing? And how does this work? And why are they talking about things like the greatest passage of partisan, partisan power, power of all time? Right. I don't want to hear about that in a democracy. It's right. like, <laughs> okay, I'm talking about an oxymoron. And once I start hearing phrases like that, and I'm like, wait a second, you want me to help you, this, this sound recordist that I met, on a documentary I was doing about Val Broekschmidt that will be out probably next year. We'll see what happens, but the Deutsche Bank whistleblower and Sony North Korea hack associated individual who I, who's also passed recently and, you know, untimely and I don't think it's mysterious necessarily, but there's more to be, there's a lot into there yeah and it it saddened me a lot to hear that uh we spent a lot of time together and um he was troubled by lots of things that that any normal person would be and i had worked with a great sound recorder sonnet was very private confidential like someone that i trusted doing all real professional yeah and i got to know him and he was like hey man i'm hoping you can help me get paid with this thing, this contract that somebody owes me, or maybe you'll be interested. He tells me what it is, and I'm like, well, "You have, you have know, like more than a dozen hours of the of Trump's inauguration for a reality, you know, far fetched." And then, but I believe him because I just watched him do this. So I got him and listened, and it blew my mind. And so we worked out an arrangement that took a while, but once you have an Excalibur like that. You know, the turd blossom <laughs> opens to un, uh, you know, un, unfathomable degrees where you're swimming in documents. Nobody will touch it. Amazon won't comment to you after three and a half hours in the phone. It feels right. like the toilet yeah. zone.
3: No, exactly. I mean the the sheer amount of no comments or just even refusal <laughs> to get back in touch after the making the first contact where you can yeah. you know like rocker even called somebody up he picks up um confirms that he was on the project and then he would you know call back later or whatever and I, I, when yeah. when rocker called back again just wouldn't didn't want to have to. Well, of I text with him like you know
2: i think it was something like 40 close to 40 people yeah. who did not respond to me yeah and i've been doing this a long time now like about i did go to journalism school it was in Florida. I don't know if that counts, but oh, uh, I'm
4: sure. It does. <laughs> University
2: of Florida, of course, is a great journalism school. Um, that doesn't make me special at all, uh, but I'm saying I've been on the side of somebody having to edit 25, 30 pieces a day for a site like Vice. That was very high volume, sort of the peak of new media. And really all that meant was we're going to put it on Facebook and and. and and botnet stuff you know um arbitrage it right uh, and and when well, that was successful for a while and I I don't uh, I, I had a, a wonderful time I don't regret a second of it but I did try to leave the industry and when I when you know I get my hands on stuff like this or hear inklings of it that makes me want to come back because I feel like we can kind of slam dunk all these parties involved which are people like and I'm talking about the presidential inauguration and the documentary that was filmed eventually um, that I got the audio from mm-hmm. this guy on a shoot that we're doing with the Deutsche Bank whistleblower. I mean,
3: it, not many times have I gotten in situations like that in my life. No, and but... I feel, I'd, say, I'd say like, you know, sometimes things just drop into your lap. Other times you just know where to sniff it out. I would say this is a good combination of the two. Uh, yeah. it dropped into your la- lap to a certain extent and then you knew exactly where to go to snip well, it out after that it's
2: pretty boring if you listen to the raw audio but if you listen to Elliot Brody and larry meisel and next to jeff sessions once you train, clean it up and yeah. you can
3: actually hear what they're talking about and those sort of side conversations it, when they de- don't yeah. know they're being recorded
2: mm-hmm. to, 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 i'm sorry it's i can't talk about this that's why we made the podcast and wrote it because i get too excited but when you hear these seconds that the whole world turns on that was like i knew i had to create some packages around this Mm -hmm. and we're working on several other sort of suites of stories that are both related and unrelated um but the same players keep
3: the same players yes and so again like i don't know if that's just stuff dropping into our lap but you know a lot of times at least in um, my career it's been like that
0: (laughs) so who are the players
3: so um, you know we're, we'll go down the line. We kind of have different podcast episodes for different people. We started with Tom Barrick. Um, He's done as an
2: error yet, just to be clear. Only the prologue oh yes, only
3: it. If the prologue is. It, it will next week. We just <laughs> released.
1: This is uh, not not to interrupt you, but this is the same Tom Barrick that uh, was accused of basically influence peddling uh, as a foreign agent for the UAE, right?
3: He's yes. currently under yeah under indictment for um, acting as an unregistered foreign agent or FARA, um, for the United, United Arab Emirates. And FARA has been something we've been kind of fixated on for over a year and a half. Even when we were still with Scanner, we were working on foreign influence stories because it's just amazing how prevalent foreign influence is in the U.S. and, you know, at the top levels of the administration. And, you know, it's, it's pretty much every administration, if you, if you really look at it. Um, we got to start digging into, you know, Elliot Brody was kind of, he kind of dropped into our lap um, and Chinese influence as well. And kind of filled up our whole lap. Yeah, it did. Because, and he's he's also going to be an individual we're going to be reporting on more for the nose. But we started reporting on Elliot Brody through Scanner. And um, I'll I'll come back to that, remind me. But uh, other than Brody and Tom Barrick, um, we're going to be looking at Mark Burnett and these individuals who are involved with the production company. Called Tiny Horse, and, as well as other associates of Mark Burnett, um, uh, and, and foreign influence,
2: Russian. You know, uh, let's let's call it uh, Russia's favorite American banker, R- oh, Robert, Robert Forsen, Forsman, Yes, who has a relationship with Mark Burnett. Yes, um, that resulted in. You know, we're not going to say influence peddling. We're just going but to talk about them.
3: even through people like Steve Bannon getting access to high levels of the administration. These
2: people aren't the, on the tapes, to be to be clear. Sure, But yes. they're in the periphery of
3: and it's of, in, that's why influence. that's why the uh, parallel reporting that we're doing is so important because we have a ton of documents but, as well. But back back to the tapes, though, yes,
2: we do have you know some people like Donald J. Trump Jr. We have him in passing talking about. Uh, Oh my college bro, he quit his job and now he lugs my bags and he runs my social media for free. He does. And,
3: he does more than that, but he doesn't say that on. Yeah, yeah and we go, dig into that a bit we more. Oh, I give
2: it all away. But yeah. it's an odd <laughs> thing to say to a camera crew. But He's when like, we know hey, the backstory, future sense. first family member. Yes. What do you want to talk and memorialize? Memorialize forever. And so, in some ways, it's no wonder. These tapes didn't come out, but we also have, I mentioned Larry Meisel. He's a billionaire real estate developer like Tom Barrett in a different way, but mm-hmm. it's all money. And you got to think of these things on a global scale. And he's talking to Brody about something that we'll just say there's a list involved. There's uh, it, 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 someone that's very h- highly connected to the Israeli government involved that, out of L.A., I and mean, we don't want to get into too more, much more than that. But speaking
3: of Israel, we also have Rudy Giuliani on tape. We have Sheldon Adelson on tape. We have, uh, boy, I mean, we have we have some more more obscure I'll, people I'll be, uh, that be, aren't super well-known. I think we haven't had have John Voight a little bit on tape. <laughs> nice. Oh, we do have Stephanie Winston-Wolkoff because she was, yes, she was kind of one of the figures who was followed around during it, this. And,
2: it, and if you read the article, and we haven't really gotten into this in the podcast series yet, it's pretty clear, and, uh, you know, we were unable to get comment from her, but it's pretty clear that she was dragged through the mud at the very least, and uh, a lot worse at the very most, especially by the way it was reported by the New York Times and other outlets about a missing, it's about twenty-eight, twenty-six million. 26 million, well, uh, well, no, sorry,
3: not, not missing 26 million, Unaccounted uh, no,
2: there, for,
3: um, there's more millions that are unaccounted for, but the New York Times sort of misreported mm-hmm at first that the that she had taken twenty six million dollars. Yes. But that was it was it was like so such a butchered it's, story and it was clear clearly trying to cover yeah. for it, it, who actually was we, we, we covered
2: in the article. Yeah. The it's almost and the next so the theme, Yeah. And and we'll be talking more about it. But it's the, it's part of a telemedia covering it. But but you take a step back and you realize, you know, these same people control the media. Barrick. Uh, was I believe chair of the Weinstein company uh, post Disney buyout uh, or no, he tried to bail out the Weinstein company. He was the chairman of Miramax. Right. I got that wrong. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, and um, he's deeply involved in the entertainment industry is my point. And obviously around Weinstein's companies, that becomes into play uh, a lot later. We have a lot more reporting to do there, but yes. we just, we found some stuff that we We like, oh. and yeah, um, You notice that you've got, uh, you know, it's very the people on the production themselves, they're they're power brokers in the the real way, like John Renaga, who's a founder of Tiny Horse, uh, the production company and marketing company, since acquired uh, in a succession of deals in 2020 and uh, 2021 that, you know, for millions of, yeah, hundreds of millions really in terms of revenue um, by the companies that acquired them he was a founding partner. And before that, uh, he, you know, he worked with the Peruvian, um, well, not the Peruvian government, but the camp, certain pol- politicians. Politician.
3: Which, and okay. Tony but, Blair. he was
2: Tony Blair, uh, comms guy, but you know, the, yeah. uh, guy, yes. but, you know, the oh. magic man inside of his, inside of his office. And then out when he was, after his prime minister, he worked for his foundation in Rwanda,
4: mm-hmm.
2: which Tony Blair had established, um, essentially as an unofficial arm of the government if you if you read into it it's it's quite fascinating i won't go into all that here but you can imagine the 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 type of uh, turnkey foreign influence that's at these people's fingertips yeah yeah
3: without getting too into the weeds i'll just say you know the the again the big themes we keep coming back to kind of have to do with the media industry foreign influence and a lot of uh capital yeah and you know sovereign um, sovereign wealth funds, yeah and yeah. foreign investment etc so i know it doesn't sound like the sexiest stuff but when you actually really think about how much th- these kinds of things have an impact on mm-hmm. our culture as well as our politics um and you kind of realize all of these other you know ways maybe so. different if you if it, on the surface it doesn't sound it but if you read
2: you know an ian fleming novel james bond novel or you mm-hmm. read a spy novel and you, or you watch the movies closely, you realize that these are the dudes, yeah, yeah, and like it's pretty exhilarating to email them and say, oh, yeah. "Are you friends with this person that we have documents on you emailing with?" And, and get no
3: response. And honestly, like I used to cover a lot of riots and civil unrest, and you know, there's no way to avoid getting adrenaline rushes from that. But I will say, one of the best adrenaline rushes I've ever had was getting a legal letter, a legal threat from Elliot Brody's lawyers and uh that's Steptoe and johnson yeah um which pretty pretty large white, law firm. white shoe as they say a law firm yeah eric prince's law firm so we're, what we're trying to do is kind of sh- like try to share and like, explain the importance and like uncover things that a lot of people just don't understand are going on or other people try to sweep under the rug other news companies even try to sweep under the rug media companies etc so again we're just trying to like I know everybody really likes to, to jump on more hot button issues. And, you know, a lot of things that we, a lot of things that we see on social media are mostly distractions. And that is a really, really effective way of getting people not to care about things like this or not even pay attention to things like this, or just not like, not think that they can understand things like this, where what we're trying to do is help break it down a little easier and show people the significance. Sure. And I mean, It's quite a story just having, you know, the
0: backdrop, the narrative backdrop of like being behind the scenes at the inauguration and this really bizarre scheme of turning it into a reality show. And of course, Trump wanted to turn it into a reality show. I mean, I have what you know. That in itself is inherently problematic, but it also, you know, the impression I'm getting um, from your prologue and from your coverage so far is that it really was like a open air market for influence peddling which is like super
2: super interesting
3: yeah and again I'm sure this happens in every administration
2: it's well, just I, it's unclear to the extent it's a to great the extent question. I'm sure yeah. People yeah. well that's right you know exactly yes that. yeah it's 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 an uncharted terrain perhaps. And you got to think about how the people around Trump – and that's the great part about this, to me at least, the series, is that is Trump becomes it, – it's it, either there's two things What's going on here. He's in or he's being taken advantage of. And those are two things that everyone de facto has to care about. And then we don't have to talk about him until the end. Yes. Because it, it's like when they're going to Tom Barrett to get approval – on Paul Manafort as a campaign manager, essentially, there's something fishy, funny going on here. Okay, it, it doesn't pass the smell test, whatever you want to say. And then when you have a case, any of the documents, and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. That lawyer who's brokering the deal for the broadcast rights to the pick then joins the administration two weeks later <laughs> as a deputy White House.
3: Oh, that's rich. And there's you see and, of that.
2: Yeah, these are the things you see that you're really like. Again, you're not supposed to see them, but this is so sloppy that it's 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 quite frankly just really embarrassing. And
3: it's no wonder that the sound recordist on the project was told when he tried to retrieve more of his files yeah. from, um, you know, mm-hmm. from some of the others involved in the production. They that he told us the words, specific words he was told is this project will never see the light of day.
0: Your project or no, the be, uh, the, uh, the doc, all
3: exactly. so, right, yeah. yeah. Race to 58 Race was the name Race, of, like, yeah. a working title
2: of this, yeah. and it, uh-huh. it, it was always a working title because they never actually, despite this kind of pitch with Amazon, where it was very weird. Um, literally, a guy named CJU, uh, Mark Burnett's you know, and this guy, CJU, was at UCLA going to college, according to his LinkedIn, he worked for Mark Burnett. Out of his personal office for Mark Burnett Productions. So this is fairly early on, through the days of The Apprentice and Survivor, and he was off and on with the company. As you know, that's typical. That's typical of people that find a niche in Hollywood and st- stick with it. He's done good work. I've talked to several people that that know him. I I'm, I've done business myself out in Hollywood, and um, it's it's you know it's it's a shit house mess out there, and uh, so everyone knows one another, and so. I don't think I have any he never talked to me I, I in other words it seems to me he did his job very well throughout the entire thing um but what was his job uh if he had worked for Mark Burnett another guy who worked for Mark Burnett uh, and actually co-produced the uh pilot for um The Apprentice for NBC that's how far he to go back who was at Amazon at a very high level a week before they would need to start filming what they're pitching as a reality series, limited reality series, this guy emails the Tiny Horse team, the people who actually produce this. Said, I got great news, you know. I talked to my friend Saldu, who's at Amazon, and he says they might be in. This is like a midnight email. They're already all working in DC on location. He'll pay six hundred. He said no, the Amazon will probably pay six hundred thousand. He'll allow Trump and the first family editorial oversight, but not final cut which i mean okay uh, that says it all um that they need guaranteed access to the president and people close to the presidential inaugural committee on which burnett also served on the presidential inaugural committee he was um, one of
3: the special advisors special alongside advisors. stephanie winston wolkoff yes
2: it's very uh, uh nebulous amorphous thing this pick they call it the presidential right and so committee.
3: as cj is pitching this this project he's also working for the pick um and there's it's actually pretty interesting if we did get our hands on a couple different lists associated with the pick we've got thousands and do- like thousands of documents mm-hmm. and um some of the names that we and again this is i don't want to give too much away because we're going to be doing a lot of reporting on this yeah. but um i do think if people are interested in the media industry and you know how that plays in into influence politics and all of these things this is a podcast they will really really find fascinating and even if they're not into that stuff I've had a lot of people tell me who like don't really keep up with politics Mm -hmm. wow I was surprised I was able to understand that like I was and I found it pretty interesting
2: we we wanted to make it like a true crime whodunit podcast you know I don't know if people have picked up on it but one of the many inspirations of the nose um which is very much a collective project is really like, well, uh, in, in *V for Vendetta*, the nose was the name of the intelligence agency, you yeah. know. Yeah. And uh, that has a lot of ties with various groups that don't have names. And we thought it was pretty funny. And then also, also the shadow, like the shadow nose. What evil lurks in the hearts, in the hearts of men? <laughs> and it's the old timey radio shows, like a serial about, uh, you know, Orson Welles would do it. Uh, you know, Alec Baldwin did the movie, uh, where I don't think he. I he shot a lot of people in the movie. I don't think he managed to <laughs> shoot anybody in IRL. But um, it, it was, and I liked, it's a good movie actually. Um, and, uh, it, you know, Emily drew this character where I kept talking <laughs> like a maniac about this old Sudafed commercial where everyone's <laughs> a giant nose and they're on the subway walking, finally found it on YouTube. And then she, I said, but put a trench coat on it. Yeah. And there's this idea, I just think of like, can we look into the things that have made things so corrupt that the media dare not report on them? And it's not an indictment on the media. I've been there. It's uh, they want to. It, it, it's some of them don't. Some right?
3: of the yeah. I, yeah, There are some reporters who still have the chops. Just you <laughs> know, they just have they the masters. Stay away from it's a pain in their ass because yeah, yeah. they have to deal with their
2: bosses. And well, you got to take this mention of Chrysler out because we got a big branded content content they. Like, fuck off! I kind of want to hear from your business side. So, is there a different way to do that? And like, we're playing with ideas. Like, at the end of this limited podcast series, which we call Seven Days in January, um, and, and that has, is going to have multiple reporting pieces that spring out of it. Do we do something like NFT? Uh, which, again, turning it on its head, all of the raw audio, and do we do we try to figure out? Maybe NFT is not the right way to do it, but
3: we just want it know, to be immutable for accessible by the public and you know again like want it to be a living document almost well and it's like also
2: journalism has to be done in the public's interest in america and it's the only place um that really we have this relationship with the freedom of speech and the and the freedom to report all the way up to potentially past and i mean more so the pentagon papers and less so WikiLeaks, but i'm talking about national security and and get away with it and be celebrated win awards for it um if we don't do that and preserve that that's that the rest of the world is dead on it uh, yeah. it's never coming back i don't know i mean i guess there's people out there like uh, i i'm not going to name their names but 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 i think everybody knows the usual suspects of corporate intelligence and data shitlords. That so can I, know better. I'm can glad you have, mentioned uh corporate yeah. intelligence
1: there corporate. because I, yeah. I, I had a question about, um, so when we talk about uh, this issue of foreign influence and I think it's a very real sure. issue, I, you know, a lot of hay was made over uh, fusion GPS, which that's where we get the still dossier story from. And what you're doing feels a little bit different from that and that you're working completely independently. Whereas I think Fusion GPS was, it's a corporate investigative firm. It it kind of is mercenary. It was initially being funded by uh, Paul Singer and Washington Free Beacon. Do you think there's issues with how we uh, look at the issue of foreign influence and um, who's pushing what information?
2: I mean, there's so many issues with it, whether it be through, you know, the people having problematic relationships with billionaires owning the Washington post or the wall street journal that used to be an actual competition for the news together. And in some instances you might wonder if they're in coordination
3: with the news together. And it's, it's tough to say. Well, I mean, I think it has been that way for a while, Sure, but there's substrata of that now. Sure. So, so if
2: I'm a foreign influencer, who um, can work with a podcaster who's commissioned by a contractor for a private intelligence firm? I'm thinking of a pretty specific example without saying names because it gives away too so much. Um, and I start slinging elect- election conspiracies about Dominion voting on how, like, you know, it's a uh, security officer is Antifa, and I have a call about it. And that makes it and worms its little fingers into the mainstream press. Well, I'm just saying (laughs) you take a step back and the real story behind that is that was purposeful. And then there's there's what would be called patsies or fences in in the sort of criminal syndicate. Um, But even in corporate intelligence firm, because a lot of what the corporate intelligence firms do is they try to find the problems that either corporations or individuals usually powerful wealthy individuals have and uh, diffuse them before they affect their bottom line. Now, if we can apply that model to the public's interest, that makes me, that makes me pretty, that wakes me up a little bit. Like it's a smelling salt to me. Is it for other people? You can only really put it out there, but I've, you know, I've, I've had decent success in the past with, with knowing what, what people want at certain times. Would have people wanted this five years ago, six? No, they wanted they wanted what they got, what we got,
3: I guess. <laughs> and uh, Rocco has had some pretty interesting experience. I don't know if he wants to talk about it or save it for a book. Um, but with, yeah, corporate intelligence. And yeah, I guess we won't get too much into it, but he's, I feel like he is... Um, very uniquely positioned. In- it's what got me out of reporting. I'll just say right. that.
2: Like it, back into reporting because I, I was ready to kind of just write screenplays or whatever and maybe write some books. I had a long non-compete with Vice where I couldn't work for about 15 out, different outlets. They, they really, like the big ones too. In other words, I was like, <laughs> I, I didn't sign out to the beginning. Right? So they presented me when I, and I had not signed nothing. And I was like, this is what you want. I guess that I guess I know a little too much. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think certain events happened. Um, and I'm not I'm not saying Trump got elected or anything. but The f- foreign influence that is still stuff that's being uncovered that Trump's wrapped around. But it's, he becomes less and less interesting by the day. Yeah.
3: And I think that's and, kind of part of part of the approach that we've been taking to this is you know, I don't care. Like you can, you can be anti-Trump. I don't really care. Like, but there's so much more underneath that that I feel is so important. And we've beat the Trump thing to death over.
2: Well, it all got blamed on Russia too, in right. ways that
3: has obfuscated certain information yeah. and like Russia's thrown a bone of, of in a flower. different direction yeah. for people to follow, while all of these other people over here go pretty much re- wreak havoc in ways that. Yeah. are still only really coming to life well maybe you should give
2: maybe you should talk about Guo uh and his uh, and how he just who he is with bannon and what you saw leading up to the six
3: okay that's yeah, a, in terms yeah of, i mean yeah, that's a good, a good example addition, that's outside of this are you,
2: are you, you talking about uh guo weng
1: wei or the, the guy that had the, the yacht with bannon i guess right yes yeah. yeah, so that's yeah. okay I'd, I'd, I'd love to know more about him yeah
3: oh excellent okay i love like this okay Um, I've been looking into this for a while like you know even you know around we started reporting on Guo for scanner and uh, I had been looking into him a while before we even started reporting on him I had been covering the Hong Kong protests and the pro-democracy movement and um, you know these different dissident sects within the United States and other countries um, and Guo is sort of this uh, ringleader so so, so to speak figure of um where he very much portrays himself as a dissident and you know he 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 used to work for the mss and you know i'll say like a lot of this stuff allegedly Mm -hmm. whoa used to pretty much run blackmail and um (laughs) when he came to the u.s during the trump administration Mm -hmm. um well, let's see how much I want to reveal. Well, we are going to report a lot of this out, but it, it, it's more about that. Guo
2: created alternatives to Twitter. Getter,
3: Getter, mm-hmm. yes.
2: Guo made that right, and yes. we've talked to the developer. Uh, Guo tasked him with developing that to use it as a way to scrape creators. Yeah. API. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: And then um, he was create, also create talking to bell. another let's developer, which his words, to create create blackmail um it, it, there's a whole alternative universe
2: like hunter biden's laptop porn crack porn whatever you want to call it was put out through gtv which was going to be <laughs> an alternative and is an alternative chinese language yes. to tiktok so Getter started as a chinese language alternative to twitter right and he, and we were told allegedly that trump's grand plan was to get like tiktok banned and replace it with guelph's version and get twitter banned and replace it with getter which there's a lot of truth there it's more complex than that and
3: we'll get into a lot of these things but to bring it back to uh essentially what we're looking into and create something called the new federation of china as well another scam so when bannon left the administration he went and worked he started working with guo Mm -hmm. they created this new federation uh federal state of china um and you know there's some other things that have to do with technology aside from sure. the getter stuff aside from the GTV stuff that is very important to look at and how it interfaces with um government funding and all of these other things but um essentially I mean, he used to be he used to be he used to be part of the ccp and there are factions in the C- within the ccp so like you know when just one like the us just like know. the us you know like well, not just like the US, well not just <laughs> lots of factions essentially you know his faction got booted out of power and he left to go to the United States sort of set up shop here started marketing himself as a dissident and was very very effective in doing that and he was hitting all the right notes of what he needed to do I think Bannon smelled an opportunity but he also smelled like yeah and um so there's been a lot of you know scams that Guo has been pulling and you know finally now you know he's been going to court for some of these actually um, there's a filing today i mean looked at say under his r- real name Ho. oh oh yeah yeah uh Ho- i can't pronounce okay. it right Qu- Quack, whoa. yeah whatever anyway he's got a lot of different aliases. yeah Miles Cox. um so he also recently filed bank for bankruptcy and this is after he had raised hundreds of millions of dollars for his sort of crypto scams too um, so he's been violating all kinds of all kinds of regulations, laws, et cetera. Uh, you,
2: you read the court filings on this guy? Like people like uh, Sam, um, Nunberg? Sam Nunberger have sued him. Like Roger Stone had some like words. Oh,
3: like, and then,
2: um, you know. Uh, how many other people? Oh, Michael, Michael J. Waller. And, and, like, and like he got scammed Jay, like a mill- yeah. J. Michael Waller. Sorry. And he got scammed. For a million bucks from glow and he won it back in court while he's
3: like hiring corporate intelligence he's like well no waller's company has to pay for the million that was yeah the he has to rate. pay him yeah pay him back the million. No, so again like glow is very good at exploiting the justice system the and american so like it's he's a scammer man he's it's amazing i, I mean, mean he,
2: he is the ultimate he's like james a james bond villain if he was played by oh man What's the guy? Oh, never mind. I do have to think of it. But
4: he's he's a literal life James Bond.
1: I was I was gonna say it sounds like a lot of what went on during the Trump presidency, you know, especially with people like Bannon, it was just running a multitude of different scams
3: yeah. and mm-hmm. uh,
1: just operations to get money. You know, Jared Kushner cutting deals with the to UAE, the wall or thing. Uh, there was the whole thing with uh, Bannon trying to do the the privately funded wall. Exactly. Which that was all a, a giant scam, uh, just scamming his own followers. <laughs>
3: no, I think but scammers it, have a way of finding each other like that. Do you, you think
1: know? that's what sort of brings it all together? Is sort of like um, there's is, some profoundly is, greedy
4: was, people out there.
1: Was that what the yes. Trump presidency was about in a lot of ways? Though was you know let's make as much money as possible through scams and taking money from uh, whatever influence wants us uh, to, to push okay. their their uh, agenda.
3: Well, I think you have to look at it as in terms of time too. Um, you know, they had four years to do a lot of these things, and very right off the bat, right off the bat, there were there were people trying to move move money, foreign money, and in, in, in it, different it ways. wasn't just
2: like when you say you know Trump and Trump's people. It's it's kind of what you referenced earlier, where it was a free for all or a meat market of 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 potential. And in fact, there were different levels, which we haven't gotten into in the reporting, but deep in the documents, you can see references to it. But even Tom Barrack, at one point, on, on, the, on the recordings, he's addressing the crowd at one of the most exclusive nights, no press is allowed, called the chairman's, global the, chairman global, the chairman's Global Dinner. It's his global dinner. And he's talking about... Um, or maybe we already did post some of the audio a little uh, yeah. bit uh, but the diamonds and sapphires and rubies, which outside the context, you don't know what that means, but what it means is different levels of donations and contributions that that were different levels of essentially influence on some of the way he's talking about it and the way I interpret it. I don't know about you, but he says you put them all in a necklace. The diamonds and sapphires Six and rubies and pearls. There. So the people that are all sitting here who donated millions of dollars and you have a necklace that essentially is like a new world order. I mean, it's closest that with I'm ever going to be able. I didn't say that, but you saw the necklaces and diamonds and rubies and pearls. And it, I feel like Alex Jones is going to pop out and be like, <laughs> and squeal like a pig or something.
4: It, it's a, sort of like
2: a... a... You know, it's, it's like determining
1: governance uh, based on the highest bidder is, is what it seems like we got. But,
2: but see, in their point of view, I believe, and this is where people need to break their brains open a bit or expand them. It's like left and right. No, money makes the world go around. And, and, and it, outside the scope of the United States in particular. So if our people are being
3: influenced by this, it's no good. And if it's not money, it's fear. If
2: if if their excuse is, well, all the rest of the world does it like this, it's like, well, that's that's where we lose our edge, isn't it now? In terms of being a place where the free press can happen, the other stuff I can't speak toward, but I guarantee you the number one goal of foreign influence is the control of information. Of course, that includes social media, Entertainment and 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 the press,
4: mm-hmm.
2: but 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 you know number two under that like I, the press I think is the most important. Do I think that that major outlets kill stories at the behest of powerful people? I, I don't need to think it. I, I've been at the center of it, watching it happen, and I've watched it happen to other reporters. I've given a lot of information that I'll be now reporting.
3: And then you have the other side of that, where if, even if you can't kill a story, you have what's like flooding the zone with crap to mm-hmm. like obfuscate so much information that people just don't even know what to believe anymore. And I feel like we've seen more and more of that, especially in the age of social media and you know how quickly things can get shared and how many junk news sites pop up. It just has become extremely easy to get people to become desensitized and to stop caring and even just question their own reality.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, oh, um, not much of, go ahead,
0: I'm sorry. no, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I was, was gonna, gonna go, go ahead. Sorry,
3: yeah.
2: this I is the part
0: say. of the podcast where we all apologize <laughs> for talking at the same time.
2: No, no, please, you, you guys, go. Yeah. we want to hear Let's more from to you about why I just
1: the only thing I wanted to ask was uh, I guess for listeners that are hearing all these names and they're trying to put it all together, w- yeah, what right. is like the end game of a figure like Guo or a figure like Tom Barrett? Like, what? Are, can we possibly speculate on that, or do you, do you have any ideas for where you think they were trying to take things? Well,
3: What's well, the you take though?
2: one? Which one do you want?
3: Well, I was going to say I think it comes back to a lot of what Rocco was saying about the control of information, um, and I think Woe is like the perfect example of that. Um, it's for Beric, he's <laughs> he's got a yacht oh, cool.
2: where yeah. he's floating around in international waters, sometimes running media operations. But, but sorry, I'm just saying. It's a great place to and That's control what we want, right? Yeah.
0: That's your uh, <laughs> James Bond villain right there.
3: Right.
2: Yeah, we're gonna get those yachts. You better
0: well,
3: believe it. We're gonna ride our jet skis up to it or parachute onto it. Um, on. but Go I do solve. think I think it really comes down to a lot of what Brock was saying was control of information and being able to be to continue being a shadow we figure. Like a lot of these people try to stay out of the public eye because they just don't want to be scrutinized. They don't want
2: what? That's the miraculous thing about Guo, though. He makes music videos.
3: Okay, but and, yes, and blackmails. I wasn't talking about him. I was talking more now. about Barrett. Why well, people haven't heard okay. about people like oh, Barrett and Brody? About- no, no. I said aside from Guo, though. Like you Sorry, know, it's, please, I got no, it's all good. But Guo is like the perfect example of flooding the zone with crap, and then people like Barrack, Brody, all of these other shadowy figures that people don't really hear or care about. I think Brody did get in the news because of the uh, the, uh,
2: the, play, the Playgirl, yeah. Um, to have an abortion, I guess. right,
3: but I think former co finance chair of the RNC for Endgame, it does, I think, come down to the control of information. Um, and yeah. you know, that's when we talk about influence, that's also how you control influence, how you can like show how, in, how much influence you can have. Um, and you, you know, you can trade information and money, it also comes down to money. And then when you have enough money, then it's about power, right? And from there, it's you know, how do you keep. How do you keep power? How do you grow your dynasty or your empire or your, your corporate empire or whatever? Yeah. Or leverage that. What, and
2: what, what drives these people? You know, like there's something, a phenomenon called duper's delight where people who are like, describes like a low level sort of scam person who you get off on the duping of people. And I, I think there's an intrinsic sort of um, very American sentiment that everybody lies, at least has been embraced in recent times. And everybody does this. Everybody, And it's like, we're not even trying to look at it from a moral standpoint. I'm like, well, but there's empirical data, more of it than ever out there. So that, that just means you guys are making money off suppressing <laughs> yeah. it. And what if we Netflix the palantirs of the world? What if we started letting you know soccer moms and 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 wrestling dads from Indiana
3: go and do their own research? Do their own research, <laughs> but in a way them in them a off. way that is not just googling something and then seeing a junk yeah, the news tools. blog or a Steve Bannon podcast or you know whatever. Like That's the, what we want to have. The, like the whole do your own research thing is like the perfect example of. Um, like duping people into thinking they're doing their own research when really and research is not reporting. We, we want to make yeah. a big distinction,
2: and you don't get shield laws, and you do not get protection mm-hmm. as a journalist if you're a researcher. Right. Yeah. And um, they, they, I, it's not to disparage research. There's places for all these people, but I mean, fuck! I couldn't hire a researcher that was that was good ten years ago if you paid me a bunch of money. Nobody wanted to be on. now. Everybody's a researcher. but but, i'm like i'm I'm just saying it's um all these pieces fit together the the negative of what's missing from the from the press and the media is where these people have the most influence and control Mm -hmm. so you're going to see things like you know the main financier of rumble uh gave a million dollars to the pick and that's a whole different tranche as we call them of stories um Mm -hmm. What we have is like a bountiful thing (laughs) that just keeps growing. Uh, And eventually we want to create a platform. We are creating a platform. You can imagine sliding drawers of specimens or like, you know, the metal cabinets where you would keep paintbrushes or something as an artist we want to create that for foreign influence and corruption and yeah criminal enterprise. Because we've actually because we, like to, we like looking at. It. I mean that's yeah. and not because we're like we're on a yeah.
3: I will say one of the the greatest yeah. things to happen in you know younger when I was younger my career was the whole learn to code harassment <laughs> campaign um, <laughs> too because bad. we did yeah. <laughs> um because a lot of the stuff that we found like it's stuff that you kind of really need to figure out where to look and it's not hacking or anything like that. It's just building the right tools Scraping. to scrape the right places.
2: Uh, comparing who is data to corporate mm-hmm. registries, right. which is as old as the muckraking gets in terms of the corporate registries. But then you have offshore companies. You have to understand how crypto works. You have to look at all these connections that there's no reason technology, the technology is there and not prohibitive for me to type in one address and get who is information, all of the corporate registry information worldwide, uh, which means that some of this stuff is left unfixed on purpose, (laughs) at least from my point of view. I just
1: just wanted to add one more thing um, because I knew knew, uh, my co-host, Joseph Flatley, had something to say, but it it sounds like at, at the end of the day, whether we're talking about uh, Guo, or whether we're talking about um, corporate intelligence, which, you know, it's, it's funny. Mm-hmm. We always hear about, oh, the CIA or this intelligence group, but more people need to talk about, you know, literal corporate intelligence firms. I mean, these are privately owned. And I, I think what's at work with all of this is that, you know, the, whoever is the highest bidder is getting their interests served. You have different interest yes. groups essentially using corporate intelligence and different shadowy figures, uh, to pursue whatever interests uh, the, the highest bidder is, is willing to, you know, give them. So yeah, that, that's I, sort of how I look at it. If if you, I don't know if you agree or disagree with that.
2: Yes. And I'll just add a lot of the people running these firms, almost all of them, honestly, are former intelligence, you know, contractors, members of the intelligence community. They know how it works. Oh, yeah. They have friends inside that have clearances. They do stuff that's shady. You know, I've had people approach me for jobs that aren't real people, and I've caught them. I, like, went to Paris one time and knocked on their door, and I was like, you're you're an actor. Yeah, and they freak out. And I'm like, make you're a spy. You're supposed to be tough. And they don't want to talk about it. And I'm like, well, if these are the people watching guard of the Country, and I just think that, like, if they're, if they're getting involved with stuff like that after they're out of the, you know, out of the intelligence community, and by no means does that mean, this is a very small subset, but they're a very powerful subset. Uh, like, why are they doing this? And why aren't they being held accountable? But, you know, It, it you, sounds
1: extremely like uh, you go from the CIA or, or Mossad to, like, private intelligence firms. And you're just serving... You're serving uh, mercenary interests. You're basically a mercenary for... You know, uh capital in a lot of ways.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's so. again, it's about the motivation, whether it's money or influence, whatever. Right.
0: And um, you know, what re listening to your podcast one whole episode. Um, and I think I'm an expert now because I've heard one episode. <laughs> Sounds <laughs>
4: there's only one, so you are. It, yeah, funny.
0: yeah. So it feels like you're kind of building up to uh January sixth. Uh is there, is there a connection? Are you going to make a kind of explicit connection between this influence peddling at the beginning of the term and then this kind of weird coup attempt or well, whatever you want to call it at the end of the term? Because like, you know, Coke, like already that sets off alarm bells.
4: Well, we,
2: the Coke is endless.
3: Yeah, um, it's, no, it's great. I mean, part of the reason it's, it's kind of a blessing in disguise that the original format we wanted to do this, you know, got ripped out from under us. Um, We got to go in and really get into some of the nitty gritty of like, where are they now? Kind of, kind of idea of like, we talk about the roles, a lot of the people we have on the audio played during, you know, the inauguration, like how some of that influence played out throughout the administration. And then, you know, where are they now? Like, are they being included in some of these lawsuits over January 6th or the big lie or however you want to, you know, a lot of it is going to bleed into what's going on and it's going to be playing out in real time. So we are taking our time in the sense of, we know, like, you know, we have to record pickups almost every week. Like we have the foundation for our, our podcast ready. And then we go have to go and redo parts because there's a new docket entry or there's a new, like a big new update that is pretty important that we have to include. So, you know, we want to record regular record and release regularly but with Mm -hmm. the speed that some of these things are moving sometimes it's better for us to like wait another day even to get the most updated information in but yes you're absolutely right this a lot of this a lot of the figures do tie into what ended up happening on the 6th and um you know we have a wealth of information on that as well and uh i mean
2: for instance boris etchstein was an He's someone that a figure that has been in the background of the Trump administration since, and is referenced on the tapes
3: in um, <laughs> pretty funny in ways. Pretty <laughs>
2: funny and disparaging, I would say, ways. Yeah, about him meddling. This is all I'll say for now. That's a figure that's look, being looked at closely by the January Sixth Committee, who saw and not many people, you know, at all that weren't Trump's immediate family. Uh, solve the administration the whole way through right so that's significant uh, we're not exactly sure how I'm hesitant to say well there's there's certainly a connection with corporate intelligence and and private firms in January 6 mm-hmm. and, and, and how that came about in the Dominion voting side which is something I think they got into in the last hearing uh, and the rumors that 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 built this um, stop the steal sort of anger that popped the capital and the narrative that built that. And I think there's very really similar. Uh, it's all about the systems, and it's almost like you know what we're trying to do is break these things down. Not only mm-hmm. not only for the audience, but for for ourselves because these are very mysterious and weird practices. Like the, the, there's no guidebook to this stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, particularly with these corporate intelligence firms they're based off of intelligence community sort of standards and practices. But of course they get the the big bucks because they can deviate from them. Right.
1: So so So, Rocco, if you could back up for a second, you mentioned Boris Mm -hmm. um, Epstein. And I I believe he was was involved directly with the Trump administration, but also um, very much involved with uh, Sinclair Broadcasting Group, Mm -hmm. which is essentially like the new version of Fox News. They've become a new Mm -hmm. sort of big right-wing echo chamber uh so so can you talk a little bit more about how he figures into the January 6th event?
2: Well, I mean that's I think a lot of that remains to be seen. Um given that I'm not sure if he's actually submitted to, or to, to uh subpoena from them. I don't think he has. Uh I think now that they're starting to lock people up with referrals, and I might be wrong about that, I have not checked. Um I'm just trying actually, to see if there was any um, new
4: information about. The um,
2: 6th. You know, and I can't speak, I can speak less to that and more to, you know, if he participated in the sort of competing past press narratives that seem to have been going on during the inaugural committee. In other words, there's one example I'll mention that I know about, um, it's not on the tapes, but I know about from another source, where he issued a press release that didn't feature any of the people of color that were listed as performers or artists at the event. And apparently the implication was that he had done that on purpose. And the uh, actual side of the press team that was supposed to be in charge of it was furious at him because it screwed up their relationship with the guests. That, is that something that somebody that was ultimately in charge told him to do? Or did he take it upon himself to do that? If he was pulling weird stuff like that, and that's a mild description of what I think he was doing. I don't want to be disparaging or defamatory. So I'm just trying to stick to what what I heard and what my interpretation was. If he was doing stuff like that in terms of information control with the Sixth, you can imagine how batshit crazy that might have gone in terms Mm of how things are being issued that these guys do stuff like rolling trap reporters at major outlets and you'll never hear about it and for obvious reasons at least to me um where they'll either report something incorrectly or not thoroughly and they never can really go back and re-report that uh without it being a big problem so most of the time it doesn't happen and then they've kind of got a finger around them and they can Say well, hey, you fucked that up, but I got I got new stuff for you. Mm. And you see how this vicious cycle works. Uh-huh. These are the this is what's happening into backing people into narratives. They're preconceived narratives. Uh-huh. Do I think that he's uh, instrumental in that sort of weaving together of narrative and reality? Yeah, I do. I, I think he's um whatever he's doing at Sinclair, um, or sorry, whatever he was doing at Sinclair was transposed over to politics quite well and they, they dovetail together and, uh, and, and sinclair's operatives like him all over the place i, I was all just
1: going to say sinclair is important because they have so many local affiliates you know they'll yes. do the top of the hour news break or whatever and it's it's very much tilted towards a really really right-wing yes. narrative so and that affects things just on a local level um mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously we have the county by county. Right. Right. And and when we have these sort of narratives like, oh, it was actually Antifa that did this. And, you know, (laughs) uh, so the last thing I wanted to ask about, uh, Emily, were you at you were at the Capitol, right? On January 6th. Can you talk about that and your research into this whole I don't even know what this is, really. I've heard it before, but the three percenters.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. The um the three which and i guess they're no longer Reffet a thing is character yeah yes so guy refit was a texas three per- he's part of a texas three percenter chapter uh the three percenters they didn't like to be called the militia group but at the end of the day that's what they were um and they dissolved after the six because there were so many three who were you know part of those groups that were storming the Capitol. um they dissolved afterwards said it was because of you know how they were portrayed because of the six. Um, so Guy Refit was the first defendant to go to trial over January 6th. And um, I filmed him um, pretty much on the steps of the Northwest lawn, or I was standing on the Northwest lawn of the Capitol filming at the stairs that led up to the Capitol. And that was, I believe the first, you know, the, you know, the, um, the footage of uh, Dominic Pozzola like smashing the window. Um, that was, you know, that was that side of the Capitol. So um, I was filming him and, you know, it's one of those things where I'm standing so far away, but I've got this pretty powerful camera like trained on him because I see this group of people who are pretty aggressively confronting police. Um, the uh, Capitol police were using crowd control devices like mace and pepper balls and shooting at these individuals at the front who are being pretty confrontational. And I see Refit sort of you know getting maced and you know taking a second to recover and then he starts like waving on the people behind him and as he's doing that wave his jacket comes up and reveals a holster that was on his hip and um, I was filming in 4k and in the moment of course I didn't see it because it's really just this tiny tiny thing and my eye can barely pick that up but in the footage like you can really zoom in and look at it and if you if you fix the contrast levels too you can see even better what it, what that is and you can you can see the the silver part of the firearm sticking out of the holster so he would he maintained the entire time that he was not armed and he didn't think there was enough evidence in my opinion he was really trying to play mm-hmm. to the plausible deniability of that yeah. and his lawyer even tried to say well maybe it was the footage was deep faked or whatever which i think he's using the wrong term there because deep faking is when you superimpose
0: a different maybe
3: face some yeah. <laughs> maybe if Ad- amber heard was in it or something it would be
0: <laughs>
4: so
3: he was essentially trying to say that uh that i had altered the footage in some way which i absolutely did that and you know um i somebody had pointed out that um that rough, it was there. I went through my footage, I put up the screenshot and the clip or I think just a screenshot. And, um, you know, within, within very quickly, it made it into his, uh, into his court filings. So, um, I was approached by a, an AUSA a prosecutor and it basically asked to sign a certificate of authenticity, which is, you know, common when your your footage or work product is being used in sure. proceedings. And um, of course I did, and they used that, they enhanced it to show, like show better, like show what was in it. So I think they either upped the the, um, the brightness so you can see better. Um, and, you know, until they had that raw footage, they had been using, I think a, a screen grab from, I, I did upload my footage in 4K to YouTube, but I think it still compresses and has um, has some quality issues. So when I gave him the raw footage, there's pretty much no doubt at that point. So uh, Ruffit really tried to to play the plausible deniability to the very end there, and the jury ended up finding him guilty on all the counts, including the being armed. Mm. Um, and he did admit it to his own family, and you know his son, who his son uh, Jackson Ruffit, who's 18, uh, testified against him as well. And you know he kind of his he kind of was in the news for turning mm-hmm. his father yeah. in, in the first place. So, um, but back to that day, um, it was kind of, you know, I had gone to one of the, uh, Rock on had both gone to the first million MAGA March in November. Um, and, you know, it was in my, in my perspective, like I remembered back to the 2016 election and I kind of just assumed, you know, this was something that, yeah, they're going to really fight it to the very end and try to keep Trump, you know, keep keep saying like oh you know trump's gonna win trump's gonna win or trump won or whatever but i figured it wouldn't taper off over time and january yeah. 6th was kind of like i went there and i always bring i always bring my right here just because you just you know you gotta be prepared for it but i just never really thought considering like there was already enough out there about people wanting to you know whether it was drag lawmakers out or you know um you know rush the Capitol, whatever uh stop the certification stop the steal resurrect so so john f. Kennedy jr. <laughs> yeah that's too very important. Um no he's still so, alive
0: he doesn't need to be resurrected uh, yeah,
3: sure. they bad. just want to find him wanna we'll see him again. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> anyway so uh I wasn't expecting a full on breach. I was expecting some kind of confrontation mm-hmm. and um so when I saw that, when I saw refit and I saw him sort of egging on the crowd behind him, he wasn't, here. there were a lot of people who were really just inciting as much as they could to get the people to rush the police lines. And he saw some people I filmed like rushing up with these shields and trying to break through and just really being aggressive. Um, but when they broke through those police lines, well, first off, I was extremely just shocked by the lack of police presence. And that's coming from like, I've I've been covering civil unrest since I was 19 years old. Like I've Seen almost everywhere else I've covered civil unrest or riots, almost too many police most of the time, like it's insane amounts of police, federal, local, whatever. So I was shocked at the low police presence because there was no way they didn't know something like this was going to happen. I mean, Mm -hmm. even like considering the Black Lives Matter protests in in D.C. or even the the Kavanaugh protests in D.C., there were so many more cops there comparatively. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there were even times that day where I filmed while the Capitol was still surrounded, I, I filmed DHS police officers walking away. And I couldn't tell if it was just they had like given up or, you know, they just didn't care. Who knows? Uh, like walking away and then look at each other and kind of shrug, you know? And um, so there was something extremely just off about the whole day. And, you know, I'm not going to lie, like I've seen some pretty crazy stuff happen in other countries, but the fact that this was at home. Like, really took me aback. And, um, you know, to this day, I, I'm still very, very curious if we're going to figure out the full story about what happened, you know, why the National Guard was delayed, why um, there weren't enough now, I was going to say,
1: not, not to interrupt you, but I think there's Go even, ahead. like, uh, a discrepancy in timelines about the events between the National Guard and their timeline of it and the Pentagon's timeline. I yes.
3: mean, it gets so- really
1: creepy, uh, these, these issues that come up.
3: It's very creepy. And, you know, I think rightfully so, a lot of people have a lot of doubt about whether or not there's going to be, you know, whether it's the committee or the uh the authorities, uh the capital police, uh, federal police, whatever, whether there there is going to be a full accounting of what happened. Um well, now
2: you're seeing stuff like this louder milk video that contradicts what the Capitol Police, I believe, were saying about the party that he had brought in—oh, okay—essentially su- surveil the Capitol and the tunnels and the stairs. Because I think yesterday the police said that you know uh, nobody was there doing what this guy does in the video they released this morning, which right. is clearly taking photos of the tunnels and stairs while all the that's
3: in the background being like,
2: "Look at that!" That's Washington
3: right whatever you're saying so as somebody who was there and was just totally felt put off by how everything went down i uh, i really do want to get to the bottom of it and you know we're we're working on our own projects regarding the six right now i, I only have a blog post up on on the nose just i wanted to get very good one out. too oh i appreciate that thank you um kind of rushed it but uh it just you know it's kind of um, almost almost a play by play of you know certain incidents, and you know I I do really look forward to putting out more about just the whole everything surrounding it. the orange or the onion, you know, depending on how much it stinks. But or the um, banana,
4: oh <laughs> the banana,
3: and then yeah. yeah. Well, I, although,
1: the, the 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 thing I would just say about the sixth, uh, and I don't want to sound like a really conspiratorial nutter. No, I get it, here, I but you know. <laughs> I do. I don't think people realize we, we came very close to, I, I, I think you could have enacted continuity of government measures, national emergency measures that, you know, could have been very dangerous. Uh, and, it, you know, it, it makes you wonder if there was, you know, a, a potential coup d'etat wonder. going on.
4: It really does make you d'etat. wonder. Yeah.
3: And that's why, you know, I think people should want to get to the bottom of it, wherever, wherever it comes from. So- well, and, and
2: you asked earlier about Jan 6 connections that's where glow knows
3: yeah. a lot mm-hmm. and that was actually you know i don't want to get too much into it but one of the reasons i went there is was to continue filming well actually but yeah the reason that i went there was it was going to be part of our glow knows series mm-hmm. um and just kind of visualizing like real life mm-hmm. effects of amplification networks and um it was interesting because there was a significant lack of presence by Guo followers. There were plenty of Chinese American groups there and Chinese dissident groups, um, but they were wearing different, like different things that weren't related to um Mm -hmm. the the group that was a part of. So um I will be getting more into that in future reporting, but it's that was originally why I went there. And you know, I never really expected it to unfold the way that it did. And, you know, at the end of the day, (laughs) again, like people who are criticizing january 6th committee have every right to do so if, if it's in the spirit of still trying to get to the bottom of it not necessarily like sure you know like i don't know i just think there needs to be more also independent sh- reviews like independent investigations and um everybody should want to know what happened and nobody should be like you know i keep hearing the thing about like oh well it was all antifa or whatever like that no i mm-hmm. again like i've covered enough of these events to be able to see the difference and um i think we've seen enough in the court filings of different defendants to see like some uh some of the riders were trying to disguise themselves as antifa or Can like just... you know and if you look at what proud boys were doing that day like they didn't want to necessarily wear their colors like they did on in the million Maga march mm-hmm. but still coordinated in the sense of the orange armbands or yeah. the
2: yeah. antifa was used um uh, throughout Louis the Trump presidency as a scare attack MacGuffin if you oh, will yeah. for the right where a MacGuffin is in uh, you know George Lucas movies or Raiders of the Lost Ark the thing that all the characters are chasing but there's not really a reason they're chasing it right? <laughs> and they used Antifa as this
3: you know
4: they burned. They started all the arson. It's in. another
3: bone in the other direction, right? Yeah, and it's a narrative. And it's a narrative. You know, you know, the way that they did that was really effective in also creating more hostility towards journalists. I can't tell you how many times since the sixth, I've been accused of being Antifa, and it's it's hilarious if you actually like know my background. But like, um, I've covered a lot of events in different places, and including ones with Antifa, and like I know there's very, there's very, like, significantly, like, distinct tactics. And, like, if I did see Antifa there, like, breaking into the buildings and stuff, and I knew it was that, then I would absolutely report on that, too. But it's just amazing how this, this narrative has been used to create hostility towards the press. You know, there was even, there was even, a, I say, I write about it in the blog post, there was a, a journalist who was attacked very violently and dragged away um, because, you know, people thought, well, first they were saying, get the media out of here. And then mm-hmm. other people thought he was Antifa and started wailing on him, essentially. And, uh, you know, that does happen. That happened to me in the field once, um, well, more than once, <laughs> I should mm-hmm. say. Um, and it stinks because, like, it's it's very, very effective, the the narrative that these people are using to create the fear around Antifa yeah. in order to, like, you know, keep, keep press out or, you know,
1: I just, just want to say battles, yeah. I just want to say two things in closing. First, with uh, what you said about Antifa, I think that's an important point because you know, all I hear about uh, you know, on on social media, you get these crazy people that are like, Antifa, they attacked this Andy No guy. But you never hear about journalists that get attacked by the right. I don't think we hear about enough. We for some reason we hear about this goofball uh, Andy No. And you know, the mm-hmm. other thing I wanted to say was. I don't get this narrative that, uh, oh, well, if you support looking into January 6th, you're Liz Cheney. You're on Liz Cheney's (laughs) side. I don't like Liz Cheney that much. I'm afraid of anyone with the name Cheney next to their name. But that doesn't mean that, you know, we shouldn't investigate January 6th. It's just bizarre, the sort of, it's like a (sighs) funhouse mirrors world that we're in right now. It's bizarre. Well,
2: I I think we're, I want to leave, last thing I want to say, I'm going to leave you with a quote, from the Brass Check, which you yeah, have never read, The Brass Check, it's by Upton Sinclair Amazing book! Yeah, you, you, you might have read The Jungle, which is about the meat industry and
3: uh, created. There's also the yeah.
2: USDSA, the US, USDA, yeah. USDA, uh, meat. Yeah. Uh, when you see that stamped on there, before The Jungle, you know, butchers and meat places, you go in and you have rotten meat, people get sick, rat feces, yes, and the book is so was so visceral the government stepped in and created the usda which i think everyone can agree
3: oh, yeah I, I, I would like i would like the government to interfere with the quality of my yes. today. so
2: well, hey, um, see,
4: the, the,
3: the brass, okay um the brass check, a study of american journalism
2: evidence and reasons behind the media's corruption and this is a later book that he wrote after essentially being excommunicated but being right all the time and rubbing it in and rubbing in people's faces
3: <laughs> um and, and
2: but in his report, and this is a, just a quote i found very fitting for this for, for this discussion we just had this is we in america speak of steel kings and coal barons of lords of wheat and lumber and oil and railroads and think perhaps that we are using metaphors but the simple fact is that the men to whom we refer occupying the world of industry precisely the same position and fill precisely the same roles as were filled in the political world by king louis who said i am the state
3: and i think that applies to pretty much everything we just talked about and so does um what he talks about when he talks about prostitute journalism Mm -hmm. um which is you know we're gonna we part of the reason we made a blog section on the nose called simulacrums is to talk about how new sausage is made and i think a lot of people will find it pretty interesting and uh a little more like i know the first one's kind of dark but like will be a lot more light i think in some of these eh, maybe not all of them but um you know kind of getting back to the spirit It'll be some funny of, stuff. yeah getting I mean, back to the spirit of the, upton sinclair the, what is a
2: brass check it...
3: a brass a, check is essentially what um what sex workers back in the day would be given it's sort of like um, what do you want to call it, like credit? You, you or, would go to a brothel yeah. and instead of exchanging the money, you would get the you'd go to the check. front of the house yeah. and get a brass check. Yeah. Wow. Um, so he compares it to how the media industry works. And it's a mm-hmm. really, really amazing book. Highly recommend it. It was first published in 1919. So ain't a new problem. Yeah. And
0: um, now we know why you kept looking at a book. I thought you were getting bored. So...
2: <laughs> i'm sorry. Just trying to find his place i was trying to find my place because i had to mangle that quote a little bit to make it work right right um right. i was just also nervous and looking at the book
0: <laughs> well nothing to be nervous about here i mean this is our first we do watch. have 17 viewers Woo,
3: all right uh, <laughs> Well, I want to give a quick shout out to our other colleague, Rob Waldeck, who we just yeah. uh, published one of his pieces yesterday. That's the first first installment about sort of the background of Tom Barrick. And, you know, we'll, this one's more about, you know, his connections to Paul Manafort and how he got him involved with the administration. And going forward, we're going to be talking a lot more about Barrick and his UAE connections and Saudi Arabia connections, too. So I highly recommend people go, all of our 17 viewers, go read Rob's piece if you haven't already. And um, keep an eye out for more because, like, the, I promise you the foreign influence stuff is a lot more interesting mm. than it sounds.
0: Yeah. And so The Nose, K-N-O-W-S dot net. And the podcast is called Seven Days in January. Yes. And yes. when's the next episode come out?
3: So we are releasing a narrated article um, as a bonus, a bonus, ep- bonus. episode tomorrow. Um, it's Rob Waldeck's piece. So if you don't like reading, you can just listen to it and um, then we were thinking probably by the end of this week we would put out the no we'll, we'll say Monday let's want, we yeah, want to keep it let, consistent. let's say
2: Monday there's very important things we need to look into that came up regarding how uh, a very long list of people were credentialed to allow to be around the president
4: mm-hmm.
2: and the paperwork re- regarding those credentials Seems to be a bit uh, wobbly.
3: Yeah, and so we're going to say Monday. Monday for the, the the chapter one is what we're calling. It's the second episode of the chapter one, which is called Chairman of the Ball, and it's all about Tom Merrick. <laughs> yeah.
2: Forgive us for, our, um, you know, we, we would much rather be putting out stuff that you might want to spend an hour of your time with a week eventually we'll be up and rolling with at least a couple pieces of content today, but it
3: really is just it's three of us three of us and, and Rob has a job a lot of I'm people like, helping yeah.
2: but you know until we can <laughs> we, we can pay everyone properly which we're
3: starting we're starting, know, we're starting to you know make yeah, some, some way there the but... top
2: 100 on Apple Podcasts which was very surprising we did and um uh,
3: you know, I just, last thing, as far as talking about our own brass check, we would appreciate if anybody goes to our support page. We have a donation link as well as a, a Bitcoin wallet up there. And um, I've literally, seriously, every little bit helps because- well, Do you real good. Do you
1: real good, you know it. <laughs> yeah, right, we, we, we need people donating to the nose because, you know, what we have too many fake independent journalists running around. People like Tim Poole who say, oh, I'm independent. I'm not <laughs> part of the
3: team no or No journalist.
1: We well, don't well, screw them. We we need the news. And,
3: and yeah, we we <laughs> did get we did get Tim Pool to admit on his own live stream that he doesn't do news. He's just a guy who complains about his feelings online. So that's um, how you lose your shield law. Real protection. journalism.
1: <laughs> the nose Emily and uh, Rocco. Hey, thanks guys. Thank you very much,
3: guys. Thank you. We're